Accidentally closed it. As we prepare for the arrival of Jesus this year, we are taking a look at our growing edges, at the places where we long to see new life born in ourselves. We are paying attention to the themes of hope and peace and joy and love and how we can choose them anyway when situations don't seem to call for them. On the first week, we considered how we can choose hope anyway when all the evidence says there's no reason to hope. Last week, we considered how we can choose to have peace anyway, even in the midst of threats. This week is joy. How we can choose joy anyway. I want to set the stage by telling you that on Tuesday, I went to the Methodist Theological School, which is where I did my master's work, to have lunch with a friend, and I wound up staying for the weekly chapel. I was on the fence about staying because I had so much to do this week. But y'all, going to worship is never a bad idea. It was a service full of joyful music, familiar carols rewritten to include more emphasis on justice and liberation, images by indigenous artists, and a sermon by Reverend Dr. Valerie Bridgman to remind us that joy is an act of resistance to death-dealing systems. Joy is an act of resistance to death-dealing systems. That's a good word. And one that we find throughout the Bible. So this morning, we're going to weave together a few different ideas as we consider how to choose joy anyway. Let's begin in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. It's page 1124 in your pew Bibles. I meant to grab one. So those Bibles that are right in front of you, it's page 1124. If you have your own Bible, Isaiah is pretty close to the middle. Or you can use the table of contents that's at the front. Page 1124. Now, I will tell you, we suspect that this portion of Isaiah, Isaiah is a pretty long book, we suspect that this portion was written to people from the southern kingdom of Judah who were living in exile in Babylon. The city of Jerusalem had been conquered, the temple had been destroyed, the king was captured. And many people were carried off to live in exile in a foreign land. The exile was the worst thing to happen to the ancient Hebrews, and it made them ask two big questions. The first one, has our God, Yahweh, our God, been defeated by the gods of Babylon? And then second, does our ancient covenant with God still stand? The prophet Isaiah decisively answers these two questions. We're going to read chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. The Lord says, Here is my servant, 
whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope, the faraway lands. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. And I will make you to be a covenant for the people, for the nations, and a light for the nations. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those in darkness. That's the calling. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things, I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. From strength to strength, may we be strengthened. Thanks be to God. The first question that is usually asked about these verses is, who is the servant? In the first verse where God says, here is my servant, who is this passage talking about? Bible scholars like to argue about this, but I don't think this is just an academic question. It is a question for us regular Christians. Some people say that servant is the ancient Hebrew people, all of them together. Some people say it is the modern Jewish people, all of them together. Some people say it is a yet-to-come Messiah. Some people say it is Jesus. Frankly, none of those options like perfectly fits with the text. Just doesn't. But this morning, I want to suggest that it's both, all, and a little bit more. Perhaps the servant is the ancient Hebrew people and Jesus and us. The New Testament says that by faith, we Christians are grafted in to the original people of God. And so we can accept their mission and their calling as our own as well. Christians in addition to the original people of God. Not Christians instead of Jews, okay? That's important. What if this is a description of the calling of Jesus and all the people of God? The first thing we see is that the servant, Jesus, everybody, us, is filled with God's spirit for the purpose of bringing forth justice. And that as we bring forth justice, we are gentle with people who are exhausted and fragile at the end of their rope. Apparently, God is not in the business 
of breaking sticks that are bent and snuffing out candles whose wick is just smoldering. This is good news. If you are exhausted and fragile and at the end of your rope this morning, God is not here to put the smackdown on you for not being stronger. The Christ who shows us what God is like comes to be gentle with those who are hurting. So even as we do justice, we are called to be gentle with people who are hurting. The other thing that stands out to me that I want to talk about is that God says of the servant, I have given you as a covenant to the peoples, a light to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. If you've been worshiping with us this fall, you may remember that we have talked a lot about covenant. A covenant is a sacred commitment to relationship, initiated by God for the sake of people, and it shapes their identity and their conduct. We don't earn our way into covenant. In covenant, belonging shapes behavior. We belong first, and then that changes how we live. When we live faithfully in covenant with God and with each other, our way of life shows others what God's way of life looks like. But these verses say not that God makes a covenant with the servant, but that the servant is God's covenant with the whole world. The servant in their own body is God's commitment to be in relationship with the whole world. The servant themselves embody that God welcomes everyone into relationship, that no one earns their way to God. The servant demonstrates how all people belong to God. The servant shows everyone who God is. The servant is God's covenant with all people everywhere. Is Jesus the servant? I think yes. And so are we. So am I. So are you, and so are you, and so are you. Not because we are saviors, but because the church, capital C, is called to keep on living out all of the things that Jesus taught and did while he was here in bodily form. We are now the body of Christ in the world. We are now the body of the servant given as a covenant to the world. The next verses in Isaiah say what the covenant is for. A light to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Those are images that are used other places in the scripture. Those are images that Jesus himself quotes when he begins his ministry. 
Those are images of opening and freedom and light. As God's covenant with the world, we are called to bring openness and freedom and light. And y'all, we don't bring openness and freedom and light by being grumpy. We don't do it by being cynical. We don't do it by being motivated by anger. We can be angry about the state of the world, but our anger does not bring openness and freedom and light. If we are going to bring openness and freedom and light, if we are going to demonstrate who God is with our bodies in the way we live our lives, we are going to need to choose joy. We are going to need to look evil in the face and have joy anyway as an act of resistance. We may not be happy about certain situations. But that doesn't mean we can't still be joyful. My personal definition of joy is that joy is grace recognized. Joy is what we feel when we see the grace of God at work in the world. And friends, grace is at work everywhere, even in the worst situations. Not that we have to find a way to say that everything is good. But if we choose joy, we are choosing to find grace, favor, redemption at work in everything. This is an act of resistance. Everyone can choose joy. We don't need money to recognize grace. We don't need stuff to recognize grace. We don't need power to recognize grace. We don't need comfort to recognize grace. We don't need safety to recognize grace. In fact, wealth and comfort and safety and power might actually make it harder to recognize grace. Easy for me to say, right? I have quite a bit of privilege. I'm white, I'm American, I'm straight, I'm cisgendered, which is the opposite of transgendered. It just means that my presentation of gender matches my biology. I can pay my bills, I'm educated. Easy for me to say that you should choose joy when things are hard. So don't take my word for it. Take the scriptures. Because the call to bring openness and freedom and light was originally given to a people living in exile. A people whose country had been decimated, who had been bodily dragged from their homeland, who were an ethnic and religious minority, who were economically disadvantaged, take their word for it. To choose joy, to be joyful anyway in the face of those circumstances, that is an act of resistance. It says to the domination system, you don't own me. You don't get to control me. You don't get to dictate my choices. 
You may be able to hurt my body, but you can't hurt my spirit. There is a level of me that you cannot touch. I get to choose. I have spiritual agency. And in the face of the worst you can dish out, I will resist you. I will find the chinks in your armor. I will find the cracks in your system. And every time you try to break me, I will choose joy anyway. The gospel is good news for the poor. Grace is most evidently at work where it is most needed. Recognize the grace. Choose joy. Not because everything is good, but because we are called to bring openness and freedom and light. The Spirit of God is on us. God has taken us by the hand and kept us. God is doing something new again and always. So let us look that domination system in the face and choose joy anyway. Amen. As Brian comes back to the piano, I invite you to find a place of reflection. For you, that might mean that you close your eyes, or in this joyful season, you may want to focus your eyes on something in the sanctuary, the candles or the window, or Jesus' face or the manger, or peace on earth. But would you find a place of focus and soak in the joy this morning? Would you allow the Spirit of God, in whatever way God speaks to you, would you allow that Spirit to speak empowerment to you? You can choose joy. Would you ask God to open your eyes to help you continue to get really good at recognizing grace? trying to break you today? Would you see that thing? Give it a face or a color or a big giant word. If you're like me, you don't do pictures. Big giant word. Would you look that thing in the face and would you say, you don't get to control me? I am choosing joy. I am recognizing grace. And feel within yourself the ability to do that rising up. Closing prayer. 
Spirit of joy, we receive all that you are offering us today. Help us to live as empowered people, embodying your covenant with the world. We will be your servants. And we thank you for that privilege.